0: Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. I had never seen it from up here with all the masks. Anyway, it's a, <laughs> it's a little different. Anyway, I'm thankful I have no watch because mine broke, so I'm using this phone which tends to just go black, so then I can't even see what it says. So I see I'll look at Dallas in the back, he will let me know what time it is here, so I can't even see it on my phone. What time is it? All right, here we go. You know, when you're about to get up, and by the way, I'll say hi to everyone, I can't see the camera, but online people, online land, welcome, we love you, and uh, I'm thankful to be here today. Um, it's interesting, while we were worshiping, all of a sudden, sometimes the Lord works on you, even in the midst of the times when you're supposed to be ministering, and so I was starting to just be broken a little bit, and it's like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? Um, how many of you know when we talk about prayer and fasting, we need to expect God's going to show up? Actually, let me rephrase that. When we are actually praying and fasting, we need to expect God will show up, not when we're talking about it. Amen? But I want to just start today by praying and then admit right off the top that this is a very humbling topic. And I don't feel qualified by any means to speak on it. But I'm thankful that the Lord who is in us and with us wants us to know His truths. So Father, we thank You. Equip us well today. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you will move in miraculous power in our midst. There's not one of us in this room, Lord, who doesn't need you desperately today. I can't see all the faces, Lord, but I can tell all of us in this place we're here because we're desperately hungry. So, Father, minister freely, minister powerfully, and help us to all trust you. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, I've got to try to be disciplined here today. As you, some of you know me well, I always have way too much. So let's just say that up front. But my hope always is, as I put things together, is I will discern on the fly where to go. So I asked the Lord today even to show me if there's someone here in this place that needs to hear something very specific. So that'll be very much something I want to be. So if you see me looking, staring, whatever part of it is, I'm trying to learn to slow down and let him minister. Because it's easy for me just to get on the steamroll. One of the things we've been looking at is a Loving Well series. And I want you to get this right off the top. That to love well, we need to pray well. And if you don't hear that, I want you to say that again. In order to love well, we need to pray well. If you've never heard of him, E.M. Bounds is a prayer warrior. Wrote on prayer many things. In a book called The Complete Works of E.M. Bounds on Prayer on page 51, he says this. By prayer, the ability is secured to feel the law of love, to speak according to the law of love, and to do everything in harmony with the law of love. He says, we need divine aid to act brotherly, wisely, and nobly, and to judge truly, charitably. God's help to do all these things in God's way is secured by prayer. Now, if you're like me, it's easier to talk about prayer than to fully engage in it. And one of the things, the challenges we have is that we need to recognize that prayer is absolutely critical but the statistics will show us that it's not the most popular topic among Christians. Um, I'll give you just one. Kim doesn't like when he's to share too many statistics so I kept it to one. I found an article that was from 2014 Christianity Today. It is called, Evangelicals Admit Struggling to Find Time for Daily Bible Reading and Prayer. And Kath Martin, he looks at a study. They surveyed about 1,500 individuals, the Evangelical Alliance study. And only about 31% of those people would actually set aside a substantial period of time each day to pray. That's not a lot of people. And so a lot of people, when they hear we're going to talk about prayer, they don't get too excited. Maybe you can relate to some of these things. Maybe prayer is uh, somewhat of a struggle. Maybe you have some of these prayer-robbing culprits in your life. Maybe you feel busy. How many feel busy at times? Raise your hand. If you can relate to any of these, give me a thumbs up. I can't see you on the cameras, but you can give someone a thumbs up. How many sometimes feel that maybe the Lord is too busy to hear your requests, or He doesn't care? I've heard people say that before. Some people find themselves easily distracted. Their mind's all over the place when they try to pray. And Matthew 13 actually talks about, Jesus talks about the fruit-killing potential of the cares of this world, because it's easy just to get so concerned about stuff. Some people might feel that ultimately, they look around the world, and they seem that many, many people seem to get along okay without it. And so they figure, well, maybe I don't need to do too much of it myself. So maybe prayer isn't the most uh, popular topic, but I'm going to ask a random question here. This is, I was putting this together, I thought of this, and please don't judge me and don't uh, think that I'm weird. But we just celebrated Christmas season, and I'm wondering if there's anyone here, online, out here, that's willing to admit that maybe once or twice or once in a while you have watched a Hallmark Christmas movie. (laughs) Now, your last betrayal that some of you have. I was wondering if there's any closet Hallmark addicts here in the room, but anyway. But here's the point. Sometimes I think we want our prayer lives to somewhat be like the theme or the plot of a Hallmark movie. And what does that look like? If you've ever seen one, and even if you haven't seen one, I'll tell you what they're like. They have a very predictable outcome. You can usually figure it out right at the beginning. It's being accomplished in a very quick time frame, and it has a perfect ending. And that's sometimes how we approach prayer. That's what we're hoping is going to happen. But this isn't always the case. And as a result, I think sometimes we give up on praying. So now I've also been asked to speak on fasting. So prayer is one topic a lot of people don't like. But fasting, that's a whole other... (laughs) That raises a whole other... I might as well have a chalkboard up here and just rub my nails on it. Because when I start to talk about fasting, some people are like, ah! Or other people, maybe they'd rather brush their teeth with sandpaper or chew on some sawdust than to talk about the topic of fasting. But I'm hoping today... Some of what I'll share will help you to change your perspective completely on what fasting entails. Because when we fully grasp what it's about, who it's about, what our focus is, why we're doing it, it should change all that we do. And I've got to be focused because it's easy for me to get too excited and then I lose track of what I'm doing. Anyway, I can't really see my slides. Like, is it possible to see them on the back there? Just so I can actually, because I can't tell which one you're on or because usually I'll tell you which one to flip to, but I can't see them. But one of the things that some of us might have a disdain for fasting, but I want to just challenge us right up front that actually rather than fleeing... Oh, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Um, and we can go to the next slide once you're there. Thank you, Dallas. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just I didn't even... Yeah, anyway, we don't need... Anyway, we need to actually embrace it. One thing we see in scripture, both Paul, both Jesus, they fasted. Paul, now he was talking in a different context. He was talking in the context of helping the Corinthian believers find a balance between freedom and restraint. But in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he actually says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And that's a good lesson for all of us. We see Jesus fasted. We know that Paul fasted. And so obviously we need to recognize that we too can. We're all familiar. You can see some slides. I'm not going to read all these. These are just if some of you want to see what I'm talking about. But ultimately, we're all familiar that Jesus did a 40-day fast when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. One example that I gave was from Acts chapter 14, where Paul and Barnabas, after they had gone and established churches in different reasons, they went back, and what they did is they established a church leadership, and it says in verse 23 of 14, so when they had appointed elders in every church and believed, sorry, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, some of us might hope that we're off the hook, because in Mark chapter 2, When Jesus was with his disciples on the earth, he actually didn't expect them to fast. I'm just giving you some quick overview points here. This would have seemed somewhat strange to the disciples of John the Baptist and of the Pharisees. And they actually questioned Jesus' disciples why they weren't fasting. You'll see that in Mark chapter 2. Because in the New Testament times, most of the strict Jews, what they would do is fast twice a week, normally on the second and on the fifth days of the week. So this is something they're seeing. And why aren't these guys doing it? You're supposed to be like us. You're supposed to actually be, you know, serving our Lord. Why aren't you doing these things? So they were wondering. But Jesus goes on to add in chapter, uh, in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then in Matthew chapter 6 and verse, uh, verses 16 and 17, J- Jesus goes on to tell them this. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. When you fast, he says, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to be by men to be fasting. So he expects that his disciples would fast once he left and he expects us to fast. And so again... These are just some points I want to make, and I want, we can go to our next slide. I want to give you some quick uh, clarifying points and uh, related to fasting. So on the, in the Nelson's Bible Dictionary, it defines fasting as going without food or drink voluntarily, generally for religious purposes. Now. I would add in that that it's actually for a very spiritual purpose it's a distinct purpose it's a purpose ultimately for you and i to get our gaze and fix our eyes fix the eyes of our heart on one particular place and that is to be fascinated and captivated by our lord to be fascinated and captivated by our lord and it's so easy to not be fascinated we can be fascinated with so many other things But in the, I'll go quickly, just these are things, you can look at the notes if you want to see those. There's different types of fasts. One type of fast would be where in Daniel chapter 1, it it only involved giving up certain foods. In this case, Daniel and the three others, they requested that they be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You'll see that in verse 12. In Acts chapter 9, verse 9, we see another kind of fast here where Saul, when he was without sight for three days, it says he neither ate nor drank. This is more of a full fast. And then in his book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, which was published in 1991, on page 161, Donald Whitney says this, that to abstain from food, but to drink water or perhaps fruit juices is the most common kind of Christian fast. And then you wonder, okay, then why do we always fast from all these other things we talk about? If it seems in the scriptures, it's food or water or both. But yet, there's a case in First Corinthians 7 where it indicates in this particular context that, and I'm just quoting this, with consent for a time, a husband and a wife can ultimately abstain from sexual activity, this is just a paraphrase, to give themselves to fasting and prayer. So if you take that concept, broadly speaking, it would look as though what you can actually do is you can also fast from other things to give attention to the Lord. And so this is just some overview, but it's important because I want to highlight something that right up front, it's critical that we understand that all fasting is voluntary. Amen? Even for the staff of the Rock Church. Oh, I didn't say it. No, <laughs> no, I, I'm just, I was thinking of that when you said it because I knew it was one of my points. I'm just teasing. I mean, I know it's, uh, everyone wants to enter into that. In the Old Testament times, the Jews were required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. You'll see that in Leviticus 23. But followers of Jesus Christ are not commanded to fast in the New Testament. And this is interesting. Why is that important? Because one thing we want to get up right away is that it's not a legalistic routine that's just kind of to be begrudgingly followed and painfully adhered to. But instead, this is, I want you to catch this. It is an incredible privilege that is to be engaged in, as I said before, for the primary purpose of spending a ample, 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 ample relational time with our Lord. How many have ever fasted you don't have to raise your hand but you just fasted and you're like boy oh boy look at me i'm making it through this day and yet maybe it didn't even really focus on the lord i remember years ago one of the first times i ever fasted i was way up north and i fasted and i was i didn't even know what i was doing really and then i and i was so hungry all day And I was like, I can't wait to make it till basically midnight or whatever. I was hoping to get through the day. And then all of a sudden, of course, that's the one time the people, I ordered pizza. (laughs) I'm smelling pizza. Anyway, what do you think I had for breakfast first thing when I jumped out of bed? I'm pretty sure I ate that pizza anyway. And it tastes so good. one of the things we see is the primary purpose as well is that what it removes fleshly distractions from our lives so that we can again give more focus to jesus christ to the lord to our god sorry i got to look just so i know where i'm at here the other thing i want to highlight quickly but it's a very important look at that last point fasting doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the desired result that maybe you're entering into how many have ever experienced that it's important we get that because if our purpose is just to get a result we're going to miss out on what we're actually needing to focus on, which is the Lord. He wants us to grow in relationship to Him. One of the things that fasting helps us to do is what? It helps us to grow closer to the Lord. I put it down there for you. In relational intimacy, and it allows us to be more conformed to His likeness. So how many would say that sounds pretty good? If you can say to someone not next to you, say, that sounds good to me. Say it out loud, Ryan, I can see you. That sounds good to me. Yeah, it does. It sounds good because we have to see the good in fasting. I want to offer us encouragement toward both prayer and fasting because they go together like a hand in a glove. We can't separate the two. And our intention that I want to give today is more, I would say, motivational rather than instructional. In other words, I'm going to give you why-to's rather than how-to's. Does that make sense? Why should we engage in these things? The title of the message today, in case you missed it, it was this. The title is that, uh, more of Jesus, please. The powerful privilege of prayer and fasting through relationship with our Lord. Why did I add more of Jesus, please? There's, it's because when I went on YouTube the other day and I saw that the church had put a placeholder in for the message I'm bringing today, because I had mentioned to Dallas what I was going to preach on, I saw somebody put that very creative title. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll, I'll go with that because it really captures some of the things that we have. What do we want to become? What? When we spend more time with Him through prayer and fasting, we spend more time with Him, we become more like Him, and we get more of His thoughts, and more of His way gets into our life. And I would say this how many of you think that sounds like a win win scenario? You can't lose. Fasting allows extended time for prayer. I want you to catch this. It allows extended time for prayer, and prayer gives purpose to our fasting as we engage in the privilege of spending extended relationship with our awesome, majestic Lord. You know, when I was worshiping earlier, I don't know why sometimes the Lord does that. Like all of a sudden, I just get very emotional. There's no reason, there's no rhyme, there's nothing. Other than what? He's here. And He's awesome. And my spirit. The Spirit of God who lives in me when the Lord is present, what happens? You can't help but be drawn, right? And that's what happens when we fast and when we pray. I want to give you an example. The prophetess Anna, if you want to go to the next slide here, if you don't mind. She bore witness to Jesus as the Redeemer, and she serves as a great example of one who recognized the value of combining fasting and prayer. When you describe her, Luke shared this. He says, she was of a great age and she had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So I'm going to go through now, if we go to the next slide, very quickly, some key motivators as to why we should engage ourselves in The combination of fasting and prayer. And I tried to end them all with all. So I make some spelling mistakes maybe at times intentionally, okay? Actually only once. The first thing I want to highlight about why we should give ourselves to the powerful practice and the privilege of prayer and fasting is that it is essential. If you're taking notes, you can write those verse references if you'd like. In his book, Prepare for Revival, I think this gentleman was a part of a revival maybe right here in Saskatoon at one time, Richard Sipley. And he wrote in his 2002 book, on page 165, he was quoting originally a revivalist named Armin Geswin, who I don't know who he was. But it says this, prayer is not everything, but everything is by prayer. I really captured my attention. I thought, wow, Lord, do I really live like that? And he says it again. He says, in the Christian life, prayer is not everything, but everything is by prayer. The Apostle Paul did not leave any doubt for those of us who are following Jesus Christ about the importance of prayer. When he was sharing with the Thessalonian believers, what did he make clear? That part of the will of God in Christ for them was to what? Pray without ceasing. You think, well, how do I do that? I've got to work. I've got to drive around. I've got to take my dog for a walk. I've got to do all kinds of stuff. How do I pray nonstop? But basically what he's trying to say here is be persistent and be consistent in your prayers. It should just be a regular part of your life. Just enjoying conversation and walking with the Lord. So we need to press into the Lord even when there's challenges, when there's difficulties. The essential nature of prayer is also seen in Jesus' response to the disciples. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. I'm not going to read the passage in its entirety. I'm just going to summarize some key points. But there was an interesting scene here where uh, basically the disciples... there was was a a picture here where nine of his disciples had failed to be able to bring deliverance to a demonized boy. You all probably know the story well. And while while waiting for Jesus and Peter, James, and John to return because they had been a part of the transfiguration and they were about to return to them in in the plain area, these nine disciples had been approached by this boy's desperate father and he had wanted them to cast out this demon. And they couldn't. And as a result, when Jesus had returned, what he finds, it says here in verse 14 of chapter 9, is that a great multitude around them and the scribes were disputing with them. This created a scene. And Jesus has to step into this. He inquires as to the nature of this discussion, you see in verse 16, and the boy's father gives an explanation. He was looking for deliverance for his tormented son. But here's the interesting words that really jump off the page, verse 18. The the man says this, he says, so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Yikes. Imagine if you were one of them hearing this. And why is it significant when they heard this? Because there's a couple of interesting things. They would have expected that they could cast out this demon because Jesus had already given them authority to do this. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. So they knew they had been given the authority. If you go down to verse 13, what you'll also notice is that they had had some success in bringing deliverance to demonized individuals. What it says is, And they cast out many demons, and they anointed many who were sick, and they healed them. So that's like kind of a, looks pretty good for them. So this man comes, approaches them, asks for a deliverance for his son, and now they can't deliver. But what happened? And this makes me so sad. Instead of having their full dependence and their absolute focus on God Almighty, their faith became what? Upon themselves and what they could do. Has that ever happened to any of us? So what happens? Jesus proceeds to have the child brought to him. You'll see in Mark chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. And at one point, Jesus is dialoguing with this desperate father who's seeking his compassionate help. And Jesus assures him in verse 23 this, that all things are possible to him who believes. And Jesus does, in fact, go on to successfully cast out this deaf and dumb spirit. You'll see in verse 25. And he restores this individual back to health and to life. Verse 28. New King James version here. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, the interesting thing is the NASB omits the fasting part. Some manuscripts don't maybe include that. But the other interesting thing which you see is that, remember, when Jesus' disciples were with him on the earth, remember, he didn't have a requirement at that time that they would fast. So it's interesting here. So we we don't want to make the whole thing about the fasting here. What I want us to make it about is what prayer represents. And what it represents for them is what? Jesus is reminding them and making it clear that for them to be successful at casting out any of these demons, their absolute dependence has to be on God alone. And the expression of that dependence is the concrete act of prayer. We can do nothing apart from the Lord's moving. Amen? Amen. Prayer is absolutely essential. It allows the impossible to become possible. I want you to say that out loud. Say this. Prayer allows the impossible to become possible. Say it so you believe it. Prayer allows the impossible to become possible. We all have impossibilities right now in our life. There's not one of us who doesn't have something that overwhelms us. But the reality is we have a God who when we come to him boldly and we seek his face like children, he moves in our midst. Amen? He's good. The next point I want to make is the most important of all and all of the other points are foundational on this one and I better see what time it is because I don't have a watch. All right. Helps to know. We can approach Jesus boldly. What? Sorry. Why can we do that? Because it is relational. It's amazing when we stop to consider the fact that prayer involves all three persons of the triune Godhood. Who think that's amazing? Amazing. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and the way he taught them, we too need to pray, what? To our Heavenly Father, just like you see in Luke chapter 11, verse 2. We can approach him boldly through Jesus Christ, who serves as our mediator. You see First Timothy 2, 5. And in Romans 8:26 and 27, it makes clear that the Holy Spirit assists our intercession, even when we do not know how to pray. How many think that's incredible? So we see it's not just pointless talking to the air. We've got all of the awesome Holy Trinity partnering with us in this endeavor. How can we be bored when we have that representing at that time? It's awesome, isn't it? Anyway, Jesus says in John 15, 5, that apart from him, we can do nothing. It's so important that we understand that. But here's the point I want us to get. Prayer becomes much easier and much more natural when we recognize that it's a focus on what? The Lord. It's a focus on him. And why is that important? I want to try to illustrate this a little bit. But I think sometimes if we're not careful what happens, we approach prayer in this a- a- a manner. We've got our chair here. Imagine I'm sitting, say, with, it could be Kim. It could be a good friend, a loved one. And I'm just sitting like this. And imagine someone sitting here with me, and I'm just going on. Oh, yeah, today's been a great day. It's been so good. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I hope that we can go do something later. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I hope we can do that. And maybe we should go buy some groceries. And, yeah, I think I could do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. And then that's it. Not too uh, life-giving, is it? But here's what the problem is. When we get in that mode, we can just stare blankly. We can get easily distracted. Instead of talking with somebody, we're just talking at them. And what happens in our prayer life sometimes? We meet with God. We get our grocery list. We share with Him all the things that we're hoping He'll do. We ramble on and on. And what happens? We have no intimate connection. We don't actually have a conversation. But I want to change the posture because this is a simple thing. It's not that profound. But now if, imagine if I'm now having a conversation with someone and I'm sitting like this. It changes a lot, doesn't it? All of a sudden, I'm gazing on them. I'm focused on them. Less distractions. I'm recognizing who they are, the value, the worth, the, their presence. And now I'm actually talking with them and engaging and expecting a dialogue. And that's how our prayer life should be. We gaze into the awesome presence of the Lord. We, we marvel at who He is. We remind ourselves of who He is. We, we, we get overwhelmed by His presence and what happens. We, we, we share with Him things, but we also allow Him to share with us. Amen? And we have to be careful that we don't just uh, go so fast that we just end up babbling and babbling. One thing that I want to point out to you very quickly is prayer is not babbling. It is talking with a person. It's not just vain repetition, but it's sincere, heartfelt communication. It's like that expressed by the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. What do I love about it? It says this, he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a real deal, is it not? That's not just, oh, no, no, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. It's real and raw. God can handle real and raw. Can he not? Yeah. <laughs> I, sorry, I just, um, I was going to share an entry that I had written in my journal a while back, but I'm going to skip that because I also want you to hear this. It's way easier to engage in prayer when we realize it's two-way communication. Imagine how disappointed somebody would be if you called them on the phone. I'll call Stephen. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? And just as you're about to click. or click, <laughs> it's like I don't even wait to hear something. We have to avoid that in our own life. We want to recognize that when we come to the Lord, He might also want to share something with us. Amen? So we focus on the Lord. And when you add fasting into the mix, this is an opportunity to have an extended and an uninterrupted focus on the person of our Lord. So what happens? When we fast, we're giving a focus on the awesomeness of the Lord. How many have ever had this scenario? (laughs) I remember this as a kid. You're watching a show. It's maybe after school. Something's going really well on TV. And all of a sudden, you hear this, supper's ready. Or, you know, maybe you're playing some video game Whatever you're about to get the high score. Make it to a new level. and Come on and do your homework. Uh Uh, What happens? One thing is this. That meal at that time has no appeal to you. Does it not? Yes or no? No. You don't want to run out and eat because why? You're captivated by what you're doing. You're passionate by what you're doing. You're mesmerized by the very thing that you're doing. And here's how I want you to see this. When we begin to focus on the awesomeness of the Lord, we become captivated by him when we begin focusing on the truth of who He is and the magnitude that we can have this privilege to commune with the very Creator of all things, it mesmerizes us and our passion is engaged and we don't want to just quickly run and go do other things. And it's much more easy to lay down those things which would get in the way, whether they're food, social media, video games, whatever, we can lay them down. If we go to the slide here in Colossians, I'll go quickly, I'm not going to read it all, I just want to make reference to it. If you want to flip that one on, if you don't mind, Dallas. Colossians reminds us of the awesomeness. Look at that if you can see it on the screen. But it's incredible. We have a Savior who it says very clear. I love this in um, verse 16 at the end. It says, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. All things that all things may have the preeminence. Jesus is awesome, is he not? Another thing I want you to catch is how could we not connect with the awesomeness of our God when we recognize his incredible love for us? If you want to go to the next slide, just so you're writing these down, Romans is such a good expression, Romans chapter 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have an awesome Savior. We have a God who absolutely loves us. He's for us. He's not against us. And he wants us to approach him and enjoy time with him. Isn't that good news? <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I want to shout amen. I'll go real fast. How much time do I have here? Because I don't... I need that watch on the back because I'm so used to looking at it. Am I okay for a minute or two? Okay, thank you. All right. So let me go quick. It's essential. It is relational. And prayer and fasting is also transformational. Don't get that. If you spend lots of time with the Lord and you're in his presence, you're going to begin getting his mind, understanding his will, wanting to know his ways, and you're going to be transformed in his presence. He'll bring correction in areas you need correction. And the good news, First John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Awesome. I love it too. The other thing he'll do, he'll bring transformation because the more his desires become our desires, the more often our prayers are going to be answered. He says this in John fifteen seven: If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's awesome. Not only. So we have it's essential, it's relational, it's transformational. The next one I love, it is powerful fasting and prayer combination. I want you to say this with me. And you can put it on the screen if you wouldn't mind, Dallas. This is real easy, simple, but I want you to catch this. Say, oh, 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 prayer is powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Why do I say that? Because we have a God who is what? Three things. You know what they are. It's not that mystery. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He is omniscient. What does that mean? It means that Man, all of a sudden, my brain's forgetting. He's all-knowing. And which one didn't I use yet? Omnipresent. He's everywhere in his fullness at once. It's amazing. We have a God who can deliver when we need deliverance. If you want to put the next slide on there for me, look at this amazing promise, James. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I won't go into a lot of detail on this one, but what I love is you and I are made righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're clothed in his righteousness. We don't have the same mantle and call and uniqueness of Elijah. So I'm not trying to say that. But what I will say is this. God still wants to do the miraculous in and through us. Yes? And he wants to do it in our midst. And we want to be hungry and expectant. Especially even when we're praying and fasting for him to show up. Prayer and fasting is essential. It's relational. It's transformational. It's powerful. And the last point I'll do very quickly in this one. I want you to catch. It is what I would call preparational. I made that word up just because I needed an all. But what I would say it prepares us for, and if you're going through any hard times or are facing a hard time, I've been in hard times lately. I get it. I know what it's like to slob through, make, wake up, recognize that, man, how am I going to make it through this season? But what I know is this. Fasting and play, prayer can help us to be steadfast in the present and to face boldly what is ahead. How do I know that? Jesus fasted throughout his trying time in the wilderness. And what we see is, as in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. He didn't give in to the temptation towards sin, and he emerged victorious. In verse 13, you can see the devil then left him, obviously, looking for another opportune time. The Garden of Gethsemane is about to face incredible persecution. He's going to face the cross. I'm not going to go into the whole context. I put the references there. But one of the references. But the bottom line is he needed to seek the Lord's. It says actually his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Matthew 26, 36. But after he had engaged in prayer, seeking the Lord, spending time, surrendering his will to his father's will. He emerged and this is what he says. After his third time of prayer, it says, He came to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He was prepared to face what he was about to face. Amen? And this is a personal example and I'll end with this. So I'll give Justine a minute here and I'll be quick. I don't want a lot of time for this anyway because I, it's hard for me to share. But my own experience in seeing the practice and privilege of praying and fasting as preparational. Um, my mom had died in April. Some of you already know that. But there was a lot of challenges in that time. I She had had a rare kind of aggressive form of cancer. And uh, I went and visited her last end of last February, beginning of March. And then I had thought I would continue to visit. She had been given a very short time, apart from a miracle, to continue. But... I came back near the beginning of March, and then all of a sudden, a little later in March, COVID hit. So all of a sudden, it's like, yikes, what do I do? And then unexpectedly, my mom found herself at one point in a hospital, and then shortly after that, about a week maybe after that, she ended up in a hospice. And so now I'm in turmoil. There's a 14-day isolation if I do go. Can I go? What do I do? Anyway, I don't want to go into too many details, but obviously a lot of inner turmoil. I felt helpless, but at one point, I began fasting. And entering into, an, not super long, but roughly a week or so, I, I think it was, and just entering into a time of fasting and prayer, crying out for my mom's healing, crying out for the Lord's presence, crying out for different things. And the one thing that I want to highlight is this. My mom didn't get healed. Uh, on April the 25th, she had, that's when she passed away. But the one thing I want to attest that the Lord did do, He didn't a- obviously answer all of my prayers, but what He did do is he helped me to maintain in my heart more of an eternal perspective and he prepared me more to face her passing. Now, one of the gifts he gave me was on the very morning that she had, I I believe it was morning, it was afternoon probably, when she had actually passed. I was up in a park praying. And, uh, sorry, I get emotional here. And I was entering into prayer with the Lord and I was about to turn back home and all of a sudden he put a, a very clear scripture reference to me and I didn't know what it was for sure. And I thought to myself, I need to go home and look that up. And it was so special, especially some of the verses that we're following. And I won't go into details about what it was, but it was so personal and so real. And uh, sorry, I'm looking at Kim, so I want to cry. Um, but he's so good. And, uh, but I want to also highlight this. Even though he prepared me somewhat to handle her passing, I don't want you to hear, and I, I'm very careful here, that it's been easy ever since. Or that it's been smooth sailing. Or that it's like, okay, that was wonderful. No, there's been a lot of hard days since. A lot of grief. COVID's made life hard in many ways, period. But what I want to say is that the Lord will get us through whatever we need to get through. Amen? So I'm going to close here. Just um, We're going to have some worship. Prayer and fasting is so important to us. It's essential. It's relational, it's transformational, it's powerful, and it's preparational. And we're going to begin engaging in some prayer and fasting this week. So I'm going to step away, we can worship, and then uh, Pastor Dallas is going to come up and do more of an application of what we're doing.